Hello and welcome to this first episode of Here's the Thing, an eight-minute movies production of the subtitle of the title of Here's the Thing about the thing. I think that's Ooh. the intro. Yes. <laughs> Woo indeed. Uh, I'm Kieran. And I'm Peter. Uh, and together we are <laughs> um, doing a podcast. <laughs> yes. All right, let's go with that. So this whole podcast is my idea because I really enjoy the film The Thing. And it's common knowledge among my friend circle that if you're exposed to me for a brief amount of time, I will eventually show you the film. Peter, how long do you think I knew you before I end up showing you The Thing? I mean, uh it can't be long. It, I'm going to say probably days. It's uh, yeah. It, you, you are distressingly into that film. I would yeah, say. days. Days is is a a good average. Uh, I I remember meeting a whole new group of people while doing a course two years ago and being proud that I made it through the first day without mentioning the thing. Yeah, I love the film, so what I've decided to do is get out all of my annoying habit of talking about things that happen in the movie and background stuff and whatever by just recording it into a podcast and then burying the podcast in drums underneath a mountain beneath a volcano on a distant planet. But failing that... Uh, we put it on the internet, I guess. Yeah. Um, <laughs> right. As is clear from this, I am the world's foremost expert on the movie The Thing. That's a lie. And you you have seen the film. I have seen the film multiple times, but uh, usually in the context of uh, I'm around your house, we have it on while doing other things. It, like It's only in the background, and uh, I have absorbed it mostly that way. One time we did go to the cinema to see it. The Prince Charles Cinema, the we, best cinema in London. We did. A very good cinema, and uh, we, we saw it there, so it... In, on that occasion, it had my full attention, but usually it's just been on in the background. So I would say I have a passing familiarity with the film, but I am not obsessed with it in a similar way to Kieran. And I do not remember everything about the film. My psychiatrist says that you shouldn't use the word obsessed. Um, ah. <laughs> a fun digression already at this point. Um, when we went to see it at that showing, it was the only remaining 70mm print of the thing that still exists, which has been improperly stored and has gone pink. <laughs> so, so, yes, it was a strikingly pink version of the film, but only but you only noticed when the film went outside, which isn't that often. <laughs> yeah, like, like, I was really enjoying it, except for every flicker of when you just pop outside and there's just a bit where you think, why is Antarctica pink? But <laughs> you get over it quite quickly. Yeah, it goes uh, inside and you soon forget. Second fun fact, I'm not, I'm not going to count these, Jesus. Uh, as of the time of recording, the Prince Charles is showing the thing again uh, in a month at Halloween. And I, I would go, but the viral nightmare, you understand. Yes. <laughs> I bought some tickets just in case that whole thing is wrapped up before then. Fingers crossed. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, so tell us a bit more about how this is going to work. 
So how this whole thing is going to work is I've broken the movie into several eight-minute chunks, easily digestible to the eye and stomach. Note to self, rework that phrase. Yeah, fix it in post. Yeah, and we're going to watch them uh, and take notes, and then we're going to discuss them. This isn't like a live commentary podcast. You're just going to get our thoughts on each eight-minute chunk of the film after we've watched it. So if you're watching along at home, don't or do, but in eight-minute segments. Yeah, that that explanation holds water. I think that uh, I'm I'm yeah I am comfortable with the concept of this podcast. Yeah, you who I fully explained this to understood all those words that I said. So uh, yeah. Good, good. All right. First of all, because this is episode zero, ooh, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the movie itself before we actually get down to the nitty gritty of watching it. So I thought I'd start with the stolen synopsis from Google of what the film is about. Now, just to be clear, I was read this synopsis earlier, just before we started recording, and none of the information in this synopsis is a surprise to me. Yeah, it's very broad strokes. So, in remote Antarctica, a group of American research scientists are disturbed at their base camp by a helicopter shooting at a sled dog. When they take in the dog, it brutally attacks both human beings and canines in the camp, and they discover that the beast can assume the shape of its victims. A resourceful helicopter pilot, Kurt Russell, and the camp doctor, Richard Dysart, lead the camp crew in a desperate, gory battle against the vicious creature before it picks them all off. One by one. Good. Yeah. Good synopsis yeah. reading. No, thank you. Uh, no, uh, no, no new facts leaked out for you there? No, uh, I am aware of all of the things that you just uh, described. I, I went for the bell. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to explain about the bell now, then, yeah. <laughs> in that case? Oh, God. Um, very well. So, um... The thing is a thing that people say very often when their brain can't immediately bring the correct word to bear. And to make this podcast marginally more or less bearable, every time one of us says the thing, and we're not specifically referring to the title of the show, we have these bells. Yes. So if you want to play along at home, count each time we ring the bell and divide that by two, and then feel sad that you did that. (laughs) So uh, specifically, it's when we say the thing and we're not either referring to the title of the film or the monster in the film, right? (laughs) Yep, yep, correct. So, uh, So, wait, does the title of our podcast count? I think if we're talking about the title of the podcast, then that's also fine, because the title of the podcast is referring to the title of the film. Yes, that's true. It's a pun or play on words. <laughs> but it's it's when it's used in any other context. So if I say, the thing is, I get the bell. <laughs> and later, the whip. Um <laughs> Now that we've interjected that, let's talk a little bit more about The Thing. So it came out in 1982, a very distant past year, I believe. The year I was born. An impossibly distant, so, so long ago that man was very different to... I'm just 
so um, help me out. I'm trying to insult you. Um, <laughs> yes, I'm quite old. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, I'm, I'm a year younger than you. <laughs> I, I've made myself sad. Yeah, it came out in 1982, and it's a science fiction horror film directed by John Carpenter and written by Bill Lancaster. Hmm. It's John Carpenter's um, first big film for the studio, coming off the back of the success of his previous film, Halloween. And he considers The Thing the first of his Apocalypse trilogy, which contains The Thing, Prince of Darkness, and The Mouth of Madness. You've seen any of those? I do not believe I've seen any of those other films, and I did not know that fact you just said either. Ah, we're we're all learning already. Mm. I'm always a little bit surprised when there's a Thing fact that you haven't said before, but of course there's always a chance I just wasn't listening. Or you've gotten so skilled over the years at completely tuning me out that I've been saying this at you <laughs> for over a decade, and you you you've just you just don't take it in anymore. Mm. Um, Plausible. A fresh the thing factoid. Do you know it's based on the 1938 John W. Campbell Jr. novella Who Goes There? I do. I wouldn't have been able to recite that fact, but I you, you have said it before, and I know it was based on a book. From and, um, ages ago. Uh, interestingly, it's actually they actually very recently, like in the last year, found an expanded version of the text and published it as a new book called Frozen Hell. Yeah, I remember you talking about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it, it, it was an interesting project and very good to read, but I'm not sure it really adds much to the original short story. Okay. Um, it makes it less punchy. Tell me more about the history of the thing, Kieran. Well, production of the thing began in the mid 1970s more than a decade before it actually ended up being released uh Mm. they originally were working on a faithful adaptation of the novella which is sort of more or less what the 1951 the thing from another world was trying to do but in the 1951 the thing from another world which have you seen that uh i don't think i have seen that but i've heard about it is it some sort of the beast itself is different in some way yeah (laughs) That, that's correct. Instead of being a, uh, a shape-changing protein thing, it's a um, sentient carrot. Uh, I was going to say mushroom, but I think I was just thinking about the Super Mario Brothers film. <laughs> oh, what a film. We should do that one as well. <laughs> um, it actually went through a whole bunch of directors and writers. We were sort of in production hell for a while mm-hmm. until eventually they approached Carpenter and he took it on. Filming lasted about 12 weeks, started in August 1981. Refrigerated sets in Los Angeles, as well as at Los Angeles. Is that how you say it? I've been there. (laughs) I should know. Los Angeles. Yeah, that's fine. Los Angeles, Uh, as well as in Juneau, Alaska and Stewart, British Columbia. If it's not clear, I stole a lot of these facts from Wikipedia. So um, I think this is fair. I knew them already. It's just that they they wrote them a bit better than I could. Yeah, this is just a more question mark entertaining version of just going to the wikipedia page yeah yeah that's that's all this is basically uh, yeah. um you've missed my side podcast where i just read wikipedia articles aloud yeah in, in alphabetical order yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i'm up to b um yeah a film cost 15 million dollars to make and 1.5 million of that so 10 percent maths is fun was spent on the creature effects alone Ooh. Mm. Mm. Peter, how do you think the movie fared theatrically? 
Oh, how uh, how do I how well it did in the box office? You mean? Yeah. Um, and how and how was it received by critics? I think uh, I feel like I've heard about this in the past. My impression is that it did kind of vaguely poorly, but has since garnered a cult following. That's that's how I I think of it. Yeah, yeah, that's that. That sounds like you've you've learned something there. Um, it opened on June the twenty fifth, nineteen eighty two, two weeks after ET, and the same night as Blade Runner. That's not a great <laughs> slot to open in. Yeah, and out of the fifteen million budget, it recouped nineteen point six million in theaters. So not bad, but obviously you're going to want a bigger return on that. Yeah, the initial reviews were very negative. Okay. It was de- it was described as instant junk, and my favorite. A wretched excess. <laughs> you don't see that in, in reviews these days. <laughs> the film magazine Cine Fantastique, what a name, proposed it as the most hated film of all time. Wow. Yeah, that's that's bold. Um, okay, the response was more negative than I had thought, I, I would say. John Carpenter, a few years later, pointed out a review which described him as a pornographer of violence. Wow. <laughs> yeah, so initial... Initial reviews, not great. Uh, but since then, it seems like it's gained a much better reputation. Yeah, the thing is, it's become very popular on TV and home video, which I, I suppose is why we're doing this and why we're talking about this at all, in fact. Hmm. I think also the genre in, in general is one of your favourites, and it's less of my kind of thing, which probably explains why... Sorry, I just got distracted by realizing that you should have rang the bell. Oh, <laughs> uh, when did you say the thing? <laughs> I suppose I didn't say the thing. I said it's my kind of thing. Ah, uh, uh, well, yeah. that, that counts. That counts. Yeah, that counts. I, I, yeah. I actually snuck her. The thing is past you earlier. So, um... oh, jeez. Right, okay. <laughs> I, guess I guess this we'll game cool. this this game only works if we're paying attention. <laughs> yeah, and I'm you know as we've established earlier, I rarely pay attention to things that you say. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, that's a, that's a fair cop. <laughs> right, yeah, so the, this is very much your genre. You are into films of a similar kind of ilk to this, uh, and I am less so. Yeah, I mean, for, for me, I, I think the reason I like it so much ultimately comes down to the fact that I saw it when I was much too young to watch this sort of film. Mm. And, and it's ended up sort of swerving me towards sci-fi horror films uh, overall. I can, I can remember the first time I saw it, actually. Channel 4. Um, here in the UK, in the distant past, thousands of years ago when me and Peter were born, there were only four television channels, and they could broadly be broken down into patriotism, different patriotism, soap operas, and light pornography. And Channel 4 had a sci-fi night, and I recorded the whole thing onto a tape. Jesus, like how old am i and um <laughs> it was a long play cassette so it could fit the whole movie look that up kids <laughs> um <laughs> and yeah so the thing was the last movie of the night which it was an un, the uncut theatrical version that they end up showing at like two o'clock in the morning mm-hmm. you know I, I didn't stay up that late because i was like five but i, I taped the whole thing and i um i watched it later and Whoa, captivated. Everything about it was great. Well, I I never really, growing up, watched any gory films, and I never really got into it when I was older either. So a lot of these old older kind of horror films, I was never desensitized to. So they were always 
kind of shocking still to me. Mm. Um, and uh, my discomfort level watching them is sometimes like quite high because of that. Because uh, I uh, never, it was never my, it was never my thing. But I do find them enjoyable under the right circumstances, and I have slowly built up a kind of tolerance for it after basically just through exposure to them via Kieran. You assume I'm doing some sort of aversion therapy on you? Just very gradually over <laughs> the years, yeah. Oh, dear. Um, I, I love the atmosphere, the sort of creeping paranoid tension that, you know, they start off isolated but okay, and then it quickly degenerates into you can't trust anyone, like, for any reason. I love the sense of mystery that the whole thing has. Like, um, it, it, to me, it sort of feels like you're arriving in the middle of the story because you know there are these people in an antarctic mm. base doing research and then suddenly there's there's a dog and um, a whole mystery attached to this dog that they you follow the characters in the story as they're working through yeah. solving it i'm curious though because you, you said five earlier but i think that was probably an exaggeration how old do you um, really think you were i think i might have been eight or nine okay yeah, five five is an exaggeration. Nobody yeah. could work a video recorder when they're five. Right. Yes, you you were young then. <laughs> you were you were yeah, young. Yeah, I would yeah. say I'd say younger than you're supposed to be. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh some of the other films, because some of the other films were ones I'd seen before, like Aliens, uh, which is why I taped the whole night, but I'd never seen the thing and I was just blown away when I watched it. Uh, like I really did wear that tape out <laughs> oh, hang on. so, so you, you had seen Alien maybe and Aliens before you'd seen the thing yeah yeah. I, I should explain that I don't have negligent parents I have an, <laughs> old, I have an older brother uh, so, and he was into all of this stuff so I'd, I'd end up either just borrowing his cassettes and watching them or watching them at the same time as him I guess uh, you see I had an uh, older sister who was into Take That so uh, uh, that explaining your musical preferences to this day uh, for uh, a light-hearted dance pop. Yeah, that fully explains why I am now a composer. Oh, um. <laughs> uh, it, it just goes to show that this nature versus nurture thing is nonsense, isn't it? Really, you can't. Uh... <laughs> oh dear. Um, yeah, the physical effects for me are what is so captivating about the film because everything is done in camera. There's nothing that's nothing CGI because, of course, we'll actually get to that at some point in the film. There is an example of early CGI in it, and it wasn't good enough to fool the human eye. So, um, <laughs> from what I remember uh, of the effects during it, they mostly hold up pretty well. Uh, there are a couple of points in the film where i feel like it it doesn't so much but they are in the minority really yeah yeah e even to this day that this sort of um held up as the gold standard for physical effects mm -hmm. the creature effects were all done by um rob Bottin. he's a special effects makeup artist who became a big fan of john carpenter's work after seeing halloween uh, he was working on another film with uh, dean cundy the director of photography on the thing he begged him to introduce him to John Carpenter. Uh, they had a meeting, and Bettine asked if there were any film roles for him available, and he ended up being cast in The Fog. It's another John Carpenter film, which I don't think you've seen. Uh, I have not seen, no. He ended up with the role of Captain Blake, appearing in undead leprotic pirate makeup. Okay. 
Uh, Bettine worked on The Howling before this, which was a massive success. John Carpenter saw it and basically gave him the job on the thing based on the back of that. Okay. Um, brought- what What is that film about? The Howling. I think I can guess, but... <laughs> uh, how- I want you to guess what The Howling is about. Is it a werewolf film? Um, no, it's set in a nunnery, actually. Um, okay. I'm sorry, it's a werewolf film. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to surprise me. Um, <laughs> uh, no, the, the Howling is fairly predictably about werewolves. Um, yes. The transformation effect in that, because they're done by Rob Bettina, are also regarded very highly. Mm-hmm. Rob brought with him to the production the idea that the thing should be protean, that it shouldn't have one base form. As in the original short story, the thing creature has a sort of malevolent alien look and it can assume other forms. Right. But his idea was that it just didn't have any base form. It was just always constantly in flux. Yeah, it is a that is definitely scarier and in a way that I cannot quite articulate. Mm. It's useful for a podcast. Um, <laughs> yeah, top listening, everyone yeah. at home. <laughs> Thank you for joining us as we embarrass ourselves. Yes. So a, a film that we watched quite recently, also in the Prince Charles cinema, that I feel reminded me of the effects of this film was uh, Color Out of Space as well. Yeah, yeah. The Color Out of Space really wears its influence. It's on its sleeve, doesn't it? That that llama. I I... Still feel kind of gross seeing that llama scene. Yeah, if you want to watch a film that sort of reminds you of the thing, but is just much more a lot, then I would say go for Color Out of Space. Uh, Much more a lot, and other things, nothing but the most intelligent and erudite commentary we will offer you on this podcast. (laughs) It's just that, that film. Yeah, I enjoyed watching it in the cinema, but it is a lot. I'm not going to lie, I I have no background whatsoever in film criticism or analysis. So when I watch a film, I usually leave and I'm like, yeah, it's good, isn't it? Which is why I was sort of worried about doing this podcast, but we're doing it now. Fuck it. Can we swear? Fuck it. (laughs) Similarly, no experience. At no point am I going to talk about the mise en scène, whatever that is. (laughs) I am reasonably sure that's a sort of source. Hmm. Yeah, used for blood, presumably in the film. <laughs> uh, sure, it's it's canon. Why not? Yeah. Um, the music, the music is another thing that attracts me to the thing. Um, is another thing. Oh, okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, fair enough. Um, the soundtrack is m- mostly Ennio Morricone, who is trying to sound like John Carpenter because John Carpenter gave him to work from the soundtrack to Escape from New York, which John Carpenter wrote so a lot of people think that the um uh, is composed a better word than wrote uh either's fine i mean i, I ask you as a composer what would you yeah. prefer <laughs> uh I, I i would use them interchangeably peter music writer yeah <laughs> i write music i compose uh yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, carpenter composed the soundtrack for yeah. escape from new york and gave it to ennio morricone as like a this is the sort of vibe i'm going for so a lot of people actually mistake it as john carpenter writing the soundtrack to the thing but it's not it's not his work he did do a couple of tracks that are used in the film but they're really more sort of like fills rather than um fully fledged pieces of music because I guess it's it's not really the sound that I would immediately associate with Morricone, is that? Mm. Yeah, I mean, well, he's 
uh, he's such a prolific composer. I mean, um, he sadly died fairly recently. Mm. And um, when that happened, I was looking through his works and they're just so many. It's something like 500, I think. Mm. Uh, most of them westerns. Well, a yeah, lot of he- westerns heavily associated with westerns. Yeah, really, really. But um, I, I guess the association with Carpenter brought something out in him for uh, mm. the thing. He, Carpenter actually flew to Rome to talk to Morricone in person to convince him to record the soundtrack for the thing. I'm sure we'll have a lot more to say about the use of music. Well, I'm not that sure, but we we will try to say a lot more about the use of music. Yeah, well, I mean, I mean that that's really that's really your area. I, I just I just absorb yeah. noises. Uh, yeah. If the noise makes me happy, I smile. That's that's where I'm at with music. You can talk about I don't know um, a, a portamento, uh, glissando. Um, no, that's one. Well done. Well, you got one. Um, per <laughs> piacere. Uh, I I don't think that's anything. Uh, I think it's Italian for please. Um, okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, let, let's move swiftly on from the fact that I don't know any music terms or Italian words to something else. Uh, right. So um, here's the point where I was going to introduce the game with the bells, but we've done that and embarrassingly gotten each other a few times with it. Mm-hmm. So the thing we're going to do now... Ah, I did that one on purpose. Uh, is we're going to play a little game before we start the main recording. Okay. I I am going to show you uh, again a visual game. Excellent work for a, an auditory podcast. I'm just going to pat myself on the back for this genius idea. Um, I'm going to show you a photo of someone from the thing, and you're going to tell me a what their character name is, and b what they do. So let's start this round by uh, you telling me how many people there are in the Antarctic base. Oh, shit. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Let me see how many characters I can remember the look of off the top of my head. Yeah, don't think about their names because that'll be important next round. Um, mm -hmm. You can definitely cut most of this out. I'm just counting in my head. (laughs) I will will cut out the silences. (laughs) Yeah. I want to say nine. Okay, um, so you think there are nine people in the Antarctic base. There are, in fact, 12 people. 12, okay, that's significantly more than I thought. Okay, It, it is actually more than yeah. I thought as well, until I counted them this morning while writing this game. All right, so let's start the game. Uh, here is the first one. I think I think you'll get this one. So this is um, uh, th- this is McCready. Um, R. J. McCready, I think, is the name. A hundred percent correct. You're after a flying start. How how does he do at the base? What does he do at the base? What does he do at the base? Um, this is embarrassing now because I'm not entirely sure what he does uh, <laughs> at the base. Is he does he pilot a helicopter i don't know that's correct well done well done you 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 have two points out of a potential 24 so far okay sorry i forgot to ask you um how many of these do you think you're going to get right i reckon you're going to get four i think i'm going to get two 
Right. Uh, I'm going to get more of the roles, but the names, yeah, I'm going to get two, I'm pretty sure, unless something suddenly comes to me in a miraculous moment of clarity. Uh, yeah, this is McCready, played by Kurt Russell. He's the bassist pilot. I expect we'll probably talk about him a lot as this goes on, because he doesn't start out the star, but he ends up being the star. Mm-hmm. That was a bold start. I think you did very well. Yeah, great. 100% record so far. Brilliant. Positive reinforcement. Mm -hmm. Who's this guy? Okay. So, this um, person has a name. Um, (laughs) (laughs) That's that's correct. You have grasped the basics of this game. Uh, And they are... Does their name begin with B? Am I allowed to give you a clue? Yeah, the name does begin with B. For some reason, the name, and this is this this has the potential of being like completely wrong, but the name suddenly jumped into my head of Burke. Right, uh, and and what does what does Burke do? <laughs> is Burke right? Tell me if Burke is right. Uh, no, his name is Blair. Okay, but it starts with B. I mean, I'm I'm prepared right. to give you half a point for that. All right. Okay. Um. So he's a, a kind of doctor, doctor and/or researcher, I guess. I'm gonna, I'm gonna need you to be more specific than that. Uh, more specific? Well, uh, they're all researchers. It's a research base. Uh, well, yeah, but uh, like he's a like science biology researcher man. I very good. <laughs> he is the chief biologist. Mm-hmm. Uh, and his name is Blair. He's played by Wilford Brimley, who tragically passed away quite recently as well. I mean, mm. I, I was genuinely cut up about that. Wilford Brimley always seemed like quite a nice guy. Uh, he was super into teasing the Thing fans on Twitter. Uh, he's probably most famous to Americans from uh, saying diabetes in commercials. He sadly did have diabetes. Uh, let's send you the third person. You're not doing too badly. You've got three and a half out of a potential four so far. Okay. Uh, Burke is from Aliens, uh, so that's maybe where the name popped into my head from. Probably, but, uh, yeah. And, and and yeah, it was just the first B name that I thought of. Okay, um, fuck. Um, <laughs> I have no idea. Not going to hazard a guess. Any anything at all? Um, what does this character look like? Um. I mean, you know that I've sent you a photograph. Yeah, no, I'm just trying. If I if if I had to name this character, what would I go with? Is going to be oh, my technique. Oh, I see. Oh, yeah. um, you're you're getting into the mind of the scriptwriters, right? This character is um, uh, Reynolds. Reynolds. <laughs> Do you like? Uh, I um, the cheat commando Reynolds. Uh, <laughs> That's a that's a deep cut. <laughs> uh, he unfortunately he is Knowles. He is not he is not Reynolds. Okay. What does right. what, what does Reynolds do? I have no idea whatsoever. He uh, cooks. That's right. You got it right. He's the basis cook. You know, just before I said that, like something about him cooking in a scene jumped out at me just randomly. I got I kind of got a flash of it. I I was worried this game would be terrible, but you're doing very well so far. Okay. Let's see if you get this guy. Okay. Um, 
I am not going to get what this person does. I know that or what they're called to be for that matter. Yeah, I think this is going to be my first total failure. This person is called M- Michaels. <laughs> <laughs> what is, what does Michaels do? Michaels is um a climate scientist. Unfortunately, Michael's the climate scientist is actually uh, Palmer, the assistant mechanic and backup pilot. Okay, you were doing so well up until that point. Mm. All right, let's 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 bring let's bring you a nice easy one. Okay, you've got this one. I believe in you. Okay, um, this character is Childs. Perfect. Well done. Also known as children. Um, <laughs> no, no, that's that's not. <laughs> um, but what does this character do? Um, that is the second question. Uh, just sort of exists in the base. <laughs> um, <laughs> like, I, um, you do get, you do see him doing his job occasionally. Do I? Um, <laughs> <laughs> I I don't know. Uh, is he some sort of electrician? I'm going to give you that. He's a mechanic. So okay. you that's it. You got you got two points for that one. Well done. Very well Thank done. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, were they the two people you think you thought you'd get? Those are the two names I know. And that second one, purely because I have chosen that character previously in the Thing board game that we have played. We we should definitely talk about the Thing board yeah. game at some point during this. <laughs> yeah. Um, who's this guy? Uh, this is one of the characters who I guess didn't come to mind when I was trying to count them up mentally in my head how many there were. Um, this is I just don't even know where to begin with the name of this character. Uh it is Jones. Jones and and Jones's purpose uh, 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 the Antarctic camp. Uh they are a I'm going to say they're a weather scientist as well. Yeah, this is uh Doc Copper the base physician. So um, I totally forgot they were a physician. Uh, I'm not going to give you any points for that one, unfortunately. Mm, yeah, that's fair. Next up, we've got this guy. Oh, yeah. You remember him? I guess. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm going to say, despite that this is obviously someone from They Might Be Giants, Flansburg. Um, <laughs> um, uh, what is Flansburg's role? Uh, to die quite early on, I think. Um, <laughs> like, <laughs> shall we say a um, a computer scientist? Uh, you could say that, but unfortunately, Flansburg, the computer scientist, turned out, in fact, to be Norris, the geologist. Ah, uh, you're slowing down a little. That is another another zero for you in that round. Yes. Um, what do you make of this gentleman? Ah, uh, um, I, I think at this point, this gentleman is going to be set alight by a flamethrower, but <laughs> I don't think that that's necessarily his job. Yeah, yeah, that's um, <laughs> uh, that's the sort of job you only do once, really. Yeah, um, uh, I I I think that he is a um, surely at some point this is going to be the correct answer. I'm going to go with weather scientist. And correct, <laughs> he is a meteorologist. Right. Okay. And the 
uh, name is... I don't know. The name is... That's not even a name. The only name that came into my head was Mildew, and that can't be right. Um, <laughs> Unfortunately, <laughs> he is not Mildew. His name is Bennings. Okay, that so. name rings a bell now that you say it. Yeah. What an exciting game this has turned out to be. Just four more to go. I am very bad with names, just in um, case anyone was not aware. Uh, yeah, I, I, sometimes you don't even remember mine. Here you go. Who, who's uh, this guy, and what does he do? Okay, well, here's the thing. I don't know whether this is strictly this... (laughs) Shit. Um, (laughs) I don't know whether this is strictly this person's job, but they are definitely in charge of the dogs in some capacity, right? He is the dog handler, I'll give you that. Okay. Um, And uh, as for the name... Um, let's go with Smith. I mean, surely statistically, I'm in with a chance there. Not as much of a chance as you think. Clark, mm. the dog handler. Or we're into the final three. Can you okay. can you make up some ground here? Probably not. I I just said that to make the audience excited. I mm. I don't think you're going to do it either. Who's this guy? Okay. Um, he's got great eyebrows in that picture. Now. Who is this guy? Um, I'm going to think about this one for a little longer because I feel like there's a name just that's just on the tip of my tongue for this one, which I don't know. Uh, so do bear with me while I try and summon it. What does he? What does he do? Is he sort of just generally in charge? Is he like the manager of the base? He is the base commander. Mm. You're, you're doing you're doing very well on rolls. Mm-hmm. Okay, and his name is... I had something earlier, but... Um, does it begin with a C? No. Okay, uh, I don't think I'm going to get it. Uh, let's say his name is... I can, now I can only think of names that begin with a C. Um <laughs> <laughs> Edwards. Unfortunately, this is Gary, the base commander. Okay. Um, but you did very well uh, on on guessing his role. Mm-hmm. Penultimate game now. Who's this guy? Oh, um, do not remember this character at all. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm uh, gonna go with uh, an old guess now, like computer scientist. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm gonna say that. This person's name is Eddings. Uh, unfortunately, this is Fuchs, mm-hmm. uh, and he is an assistant biologist. Ah, so no, no points there. I'm afraid. Okay. And and last, but most certainly not least, I I have a good feeling. I think you're going to get this one. Okay. Hey, uh, do you want to do you want to take a deep breath? If like yourself up. Uh, if this is just a picture of the thing, then I will get. This one, <laughs> yes. Um, do, do you know what? I, I, I didn't think to just include a photograph of the thing. Yeah. Who's this guy and what does he do? Who is this guy and what does he do? Um, I believe this um, guy is possibly tied to a couch at some point. Um, am I right in thinking that? I feel like. Um, I don't remember off the top of my head. Uh, he's involved in that whole scene. Mm. Yeah, I, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not convinced I'm right at 
thinking about it, but I, I don't know. Um, anyway, um, this person is... You've got it. Come on. Surely someone in this team is a computer scientist. <laughs> um, I'm going to go with that again in the hope that it eventually comes up. You sure and... think they're doing a lot of computer science in the Arctic? I know they have at least one computer. More than one, in fact. I know they have two computers, at least. And where there are two computers, you'll find a computer scientist. Yeah. It's a good reasoning. Someone's got to keep them running, right? Yeah, yeah. Nobody knows anything about computers in the... Whenever this is set. Uh, 1984? In 1984, so someone's got to be there no. to be an expert in them. Sorry, I always say that wrong. It's 1982. 1982, yeah. Um, and this person's name is... You got this. You got this, Pete. Come on. Uh... <laughs> Gordon, you snatch defeat from the jaws of victory. Um, Gordon, the computer scientist, was in fact uh, Windows, the radio operator. Should I give you half a point for radio operator, or would that, you that's, consider that pity? That that seems lenient to me, to be honest. All right, um, <laughs> all right. Then I'm afraid I can give you no points. So, mm-hmm. out, of, out of a total twenty-four points, how well do you think you did? Uh, I think I probably got about eight points. Nine and a half. Nine okay. and a half. I'm very, you did very well. What that whole fiasco has demonstrated is that you probably don't remember that much about the film. Yeah, uh, which, I, I am no expert in in the thing. Which is good going into it. And because I, I started doing it and forgot, I'm going to read their actor names out now as well. So we've got McCready, played by Kurt Russell. Blair, played by Wilford Brimley. Knowles, played by T.K. Carter. Palmer, played by David Clennon. Childs, played by Keith David. Copper, played by Richard Dysart. Norris, by Charles Hallahan. Sounds like a perfume. Bennings, played by Peter Maloney. Clark, played by Richard Mazza. Gary, played by Donald Moffat. Fuchs, by Joel Polis. And Windows, played by Thomas Waits. So, Deb, that was that was a list that you could have read from the IMDb cast list okay and now you need to send me a list of those person names and pictures so that i can talk about this film without sounding like a complete buffoon <laughs> i i don't know i quite like flansburg um <laughs> maybe we should make our own version of the thing yes <laughs> blackjack and hookers no all right here you go here's here's the full cast and crew thank you I don't know why I said Anne Crew. It's just the cast. The crew do not appear in the film. They made it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Once again, words have turned me into a buffoon. Right. So we've concluded our exciting game. So now it's time for the actual start of the podcast. A mere hour or so in. <laughs> <laughs> right. We are going to go and watch the first eight minutes of the thing, and then we're going to come back and talk about them. Uh, Audience, if you'd like to do that yourself, do that now. Uh, All right. So we've been away for several minutes while we watched the first eight minutes of the film. I don't know why I said several minutes when I know how long it, it lasted. 
eight minutes. Yes. I, I, once again, I have made myself look a fool on the internet. Carry on. Just uh, pretend it never happened. Right. So uh, we've both made our notes. So what we're going to do, I'm going to give like a little section header, which is a brief summary of what happens in perhaps that 30 seconds of the film. And if anything we thought we want to talk about happened, we will talk about it. Really, at the end of this, I could just read out all the section headers and it would be exactly as thrilling as if you'd watched the film yourself. Yes. In every way. In every possible way. Mm-hmm. Why they didn't uh, just make the film as a podcast is, uh, well, the only answer to that is that they hadn't been invented yet. Uh, yeah, I believe, uh, as well, you know, podcasts were invented in 1997 um, by um, Sir Jeremy Podcast. Mm-hmm. I don't know things except about the thing. Yeah. Uh, you missed a, you missed a ding there. Um, uh- the credits roll with some names. Yeah, so just before we uh, recorded this, we were wondering aloud whether there is uh, some sort of official order of how when people are supposed to appear in these initial credits, because there is a, certainly a list of various roles, but without any apparent logic behind what appears and what doesn't, and in what order. You make an interesting point because John Carpenter didn't want there to be any credits at the start of the film at all. Uh, he wanted to start with the UFO appearing, which we'll get to in a minute. Okay. Um, but it turns out that there are a lot of film production unions and they have a lot of sway, so he didn't really have much. Yeah, so that that was a whole thing with um, Star Wars, right? That they had to do uh, something in order to not have credits at the beginning. Hmm. Um, I can't remember the story behind it, so it's not very interesting for this discussion. But, but yeah, I, I I imagine that uh, it was yeah it was because it was necessary to put the credits here. Yeah, but we have um, in uh, in order. It was starring um, yep. music mm-hmm. edited by, uh, and then there was a very long one which was basically boiled down to effects. Uh, mm-hmm. So the person we we're talking about earlier. Um, Yes. Um, production designer. Um, I've got D of P, director of photography. That's um, it. That would be Dean Cundy. Uh, Ars prod. Um, ah, assistant producer. <laughs> <laughs> um, co-producer. Um, producer, screenplay, and then directed by. It's interesting because I would have assumed that director would have got first credit, but um, mm. as we say, neither of us know anything about this, so uh, discussing this is uh, pointless yeah. and foolhardy. Um, if it was, um, if it's a union thing, then I imagine that there, ha- there is some sort of rule around. Okay, these people need to appear in the front credits, and mm. it needs to be in this order. Yeah, I mean, given that the actors were listed first, I imagine that maybe their guild has guild? That maybe their union has the most pull. Um, Interestingly, uh, you missed something from the start. Is there anything that you would have expected to see at the start of the film that you didn't? Uh, Oh, well, possibly an an actual proper kind of company logo. Yeah, that's right. It does not start with the Universal logo, which at the time also is an extreme rarity. Hmm. Yeah, uh, did, why, it, what was the reasoning behind that? Was, was I, I, it, it all leans into Carpenter's uh, decision to just have as to start the film in the mm-hmm. medias res? That's a that's yeah. a, a phrase that means something, I'm sure. Yeah, um, just to, to start as soon as possible with as few credits as possible. Yeah. Okay. 
the UFO flies in. Mm. So uh, immediately, I think that this is quite an interesting choice, which I don't know actually how I feel about, um, uh, because it's not really that important to the film that there is a spaceship. Uh, and like, if you'd never, if you never saw the spaceship, it wouldn't really change the story very much. Um, so it's kind of interesting that that is the first thing that the film focuses on to have the spaceship kind of flying, flying in and in, in quite some detail as well. I, I think in part it might be a coming from the source material yeah. uh, and be a sort of a homage to the 1951 film where uh, they, they spend a lot of time going and investigating the flying saucer, which doesn't really happen in this film. Yeah. It looks quite cool, though. It does look quite convincing, I think. I think that holds up pretty well. The model shot here was done by uh, Peter Curran and Susan Turner. Susan Turner uh, built the model of the UFO. Uh, it's mostly made out of ABS plastic and bra- hammered brass, and it contains 144 lights. Isn't that nice? That's pretty um, uh, Peter Curran did the special effects tracking shot, uh, which required four passes, uh, one each for like the model, then different layers of the lighting and so on. It's, it's definitely very effective um, mm. I, for it to appear so briefly, but for that model to be so detailed is is quite something. Mm. The UFO does make a reappearance later in the film, as I'm sure you will discover. Uh, yes, I do remember that it does uh, appear later in the film. Mm. Mm. All right, the uh, the logo burns in. How how do you think they achieved the special effect of the logo appearing like that? Uh. I believe that this is something that you've told me at, at least twice before. Um, it, almost certainly. Yeah. If, I can, if I can get through the introduction of this film without explaining how that's done to somebody, I consider that a good day. I, I believe that they basically like tore it out of a piece of paper and like shone a light through it or something like that. Something of that kind. Um, yeah, 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 you're pretty close, obviously. Uh, um <laughs> The logo effects are another thing by the. De- <sighs> <laughs> <laughs> uh, the intro is actually um, another effect done by Peter Curran. Uh, it's a homage to the original 1951 film um, where they had the logo burning in a similar effect. How they did it was a, uh, a they got a smoke filled fish tank with the thing cut out on the back. Uh, they shone a light behind it and put a garbage bag behind it. Then he set the garbage bag on fire. Uh, and that's how they just kind of burn into place. Nice. I, I did not remember all of the details about that, but yeah, you definitely have told me that at some point before. I'd forgotten that it was a, a, a tribute to the previous version of this. Yeah, that. I mean, that actually blew my mind um, because I, I saw Halloween after I saw the thing. So obviously there's a bit in Halloween. You haven't seen Halloween, have you? I, I might have seen it once around your place, but not properly. Uh, there's a bit in Halloween uh, where they're watching the thing on TV and the logo burns in. And I was like, ha ha, uh, he's making a reference to his other movie, The Thing. And I was like, you clever man, John Carpenter. And then I found out Halloween came out several years before The Thing. And uh, that blew my mind until I saw the 1951 film, which of course starts the same way. Yes. Do we know the method that was used in the original film uh i don't know that um okay 
I, I would imagine it's something similar, but um, all right. Let's say it was exactly the same method. It was exa- um, it was exactly the same. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We, executive decision. Um, yeah, they yeah. used the same method exactly. Yeah. Antarctica, winter, nineteen eighty-two. So this is where the probably most iconic bit of music begins. And I, I was I was going to say what a what an iconic theme track it absolutely is. I mean, how many can you? Um, identify from just two beats of music alone Mm. it is surprising just how much they mileage they get out of that actually in the in the film do you know if that's a bass guitar or a synth that is playing that those two bass notes because i was listening and trying to figure it out and i couldn't i believe the whole thing is synth um Mm. uh, this is definitely a piece of music i would describe as ostinato uh if you like um (laughs) (laughs) that's Um, that's not a word i learned specifically for this it it contains what is arguably an ostinato i'm Um, I'm arguing that yes uh which is just a repeated motif that goes on while the rest of the music kind of changes around it which is true enough for this it's usually more of a recognizable musical phrase than just kind of a kind of heartbeat bass note um but uh but i'll i'll allow it i have used a musical term in the correct context and i claim my five pounds (laughs) i'll allow it as the music judge (laughs) uh you have anything else to add uh no just that that's very effective we cut to an ice covered rock face First of all, I didn't think there were rocks in Antarctica, uh, but I'm I'm wrong. There are. It's not just a big floating ice cube. It's a it's a whole continent with everything on it. Um, although this shot isn't filmed in Antarctica, it's filmed in uh, Alaska in the ice fields outside Juneau. Um, John Lloyd, the art director, went down there for quite some time and scattered the whole thing out before anyone went down there to actually do any filming. I imagine there would have been risks associated with filming it in Antarctica. Uh, there were risks associated with filming it in Juneau as well, but um, well, maybe, maybe a, a, additional ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, probably, probably harder overall. Um, Definitely would have been more deaths. <laughs> <laughs> a helicopter with two men. At um, various times throughout the film, this helicopter gets different sets of decals slapped on it, so it can either be a Norwegian helicopter or the American helicopter. Uh, Peter, do you know the model of helicopter this one is? I know nothing about helicopters, no. Um, um, Think of name of helicopter, an Apache. That's the only one I know. (laughs) Go on, uh, what is it? It is not the Apache A10 tank killer. Um, <laughs> uh, it, it's a Bell 206 Jet Ranger, of course, as um, okay. as everyone except you knows, I guess. Really? N- no, 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 not at all. Sorry. <laughs> I was going to say, uh, is this just something that is common knowledge that has somehow <laughs> skipped me and me alone? <laughs> you mean you didn't spend your childhood leafing through helicopter recognition manuals? Uh, sad, sadly not <laughs> <laughs> the men are chasing a dog the dog here most people when they think of the thing think of uh the dog jed uh who is used a lot later 
uh, when he's interacting with the crew, this is not that dog. It is a different dog that has been painted to look like Jed. Mm. Uh, this one isn't as good of an actor. Is the word actor applicable to dogs? I guess um, so. Yeah, I don't know. Don't know what else you'd say, really. Yeah, he is a dog actor. Uh, he is a little bit scared of the helicopters, and you can see that in some of the things coming up. The men are shooting at the dog. I um I appreciate the sort of immediately uh, or the immediate mystery of what they could possibly have against this dog. Oh, absolutely! I mean, the first time you're seeing this. Why are two men in a Norwegian helicopter shooting a dog? It sounds like the start of a really long-winded joke. Yeah, <laughs> it's uh, it, it just uh, it sets things up very nicely. I uh, if I hadn't already sort of known the premise of this film before I started watching it for the first time, I'm sure I would have wondered what on earth was going on in this situation. We cut to an Antarctic base. Um. This whole base is a set that they built on a glacier in British Columbia. Mm -hmm. Um, and the whole cast actually spent some time living in the set. Like it's a whole, the whole real buildings, um, okay. all worked up together. Now it's called, uh, United States National Science Institute Station 4, I believe. Yeah. Um, I wrote that down in my notes. Uh, I wanted to know whether you knew whether any of that is real. The They do have a series of science stations. Um, mm -hmm. uh, what did you say the first bit of the name was? Uh, United States. I know that bit is real. Um, yeah, the, I, I, <laughs> um, the United States is a real place. Citation mm -hmm. needed. Um, yeah. National Science Institute. I think that's a real thing. Okay. Um uh, but you bring up Station 4 is an interesting point, because mm -hmm. um, uh, it's not. It's referred to as Outpost 31 throughout the script, and it does. no one seems to understand why this sign says Station 4, hmm. and the difference between that and Outpost 31. I see. Um, so yes, that, that had not occurred to me. You've struck on the first mystery uh, of the, uh, in the thing, and hopefully that'll be resolved by the end of the movie. The first but possibly least interesting mystery. By far and away, the, <laughs> yeah. the, the, the least... Uh, the, oh, spoiler alert as well, it is not resolved by the end of the film. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, fun fact, I, I'm not sure you can see it in the shot, but there's a, there's a little Smokey the Bear poster attached to that sign as well. Okay, nice. It says, uh, keep Antarctica green. All right. Um, yeah, yeah, it's, it's a little joke. I do actually on that point, and and we'll get to it a bit more as we pro progress through this. I do like that this, although this film is pretty good at the creeping dread, it it is actually quite good at throwing in some some nice moments of humour. Yeah, they they often use humour to relieve the tension a little bit, and that's as you say, it's really well done. Um, uh, the jokes in this when they hit for the first time they hit hard um yeah i'm thinking of my favorite ones now but obviously we can't talk about them because I think, I, oh. I, I think i can imagine what a few of those are going to be but we'll save it <laughs> we see some men outside the station working on vehicles now um uh, this is the american station outpost 31 um and the set is actually also used um 
for the Norwegian station uh, that we'll see later on. Um, but obviously, that's after it's been exploded. Hmm. So, um, do I remember something about this? place still exists somewhere in the real world that's a a really interesting point some really dedicated the thing fans went up there um i think in 2003 and then again in 2008 and they uh they found the glacier it had been filmed on um and there's nothing left of the camp itself like i think the studio took away most of the bits with them uh but when they first arrived, the burnt helicopter was still there, like almost intact. Uh, you, the, the larger pieces are gone, but like the, the assembly that moves the rotors and all that was still there. Mm. So, uh, and, the, uh, and the rotors themselves, and they took them away with them. So it's a, a, nice, little, um, a nice little treat. Uh, but yeah, apparently you can still, if you go there, and it's summer, obviously, you can still find like pieces of burnt wood and things, all parts of the set. I'm basically amazed that you were not among these fans. Um, I'd, I'd love to have been. It just turns out it's quite hard to get to a random glacier in British Columbia. Hmm. There's yeah. actually, uh, in a couple of years, it's the 40th anniversary of the film. And um, I know a lot of people are planning to go there to the glacier and watch it on the actual site it was recorded. That sounds like your kind of thing. You don't. Uh, you were. Uh, um, <laughs> <laughs> you you don't understand how badly I want to go and do that, but I suspect for a number of reasons it will be impossible. Yeah. Well, we'll see. Yeah. Uh, there's this. There's this unpopular virus at the moment, among other things. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> We cut to men inside the base who are chilling out and playing ping pong. I want to point out that I've seen this film a hundred thousand times and I have never noticed the music in it is coming from Palmer sitting in the background playing the guitar. Uh, I didn't notice it this time, actually. I um, um, just thought it was them listening to the radio or something. No, they're all in the shop. He's sitting in the background, like noodling on his guitar. All right. Uh, we cut to McCready in his cabin, drinking and playing chess. Let's see, this is a, an interesting little character choice as well, mm. to put that character just somewhere else, um, oh, 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 away from the others. I don't know, what, what do you think they're, they're trying to do there? I mean, I, um, I was actually going to mention this a little bit later on, uh, when we'll see McCready come out of his shack that he lives in, they're in an Antarctic base, and he lives in a shack that's separate from everybody else. And he stays there all of the time. How alone can you want to be? Hmm. Carpenter and Russell actually um, address this. Uh, and they're saying that like, while they were sort of imagining a backstory for McCready, um, the reason he's a, he's a helicopter pilot, but who also seems to hate piloting helicopters, is that um, this film isn't too far after the end of the Vietnam War, when you'd have had a lot of people who had been trained in things like that you know, mm. during the war, who would then have that as a skill that they could use, but who may have, you know, negative associations with being a helicopter pilot during a war. Yeah. Uh, so that's the sort of vibe they're setting for McCready. I think here he's an alcoholic, but as we find out later, a pilot, a helicopter pilot who has all these skills that he didn't want to acquire and now has and has to use. Yeah. I, I, th- I think he's just trying to get away from everything. I mean, how 
like how alone can you be you know he's literally at the end of the earth and also isolated from the only other 11 other human beings nearby yeah amusing himself by playing chess with a computer while there are other people having a break in a, a room nearby uh mccready loses the game pours the drink into the computer and the computer breaks so a couple of things i want to know about this first of all is the chess wizard a real thing because i hope it is i hate to disappoint you but the chess wizard is not a real computer ah, um, it's uh, it's an apple too and mm. he's playing the game sargon too that's a lot of twos okay because uh, i i thought they might have used a real computer that is designed to play chess but maybe added the voice in or mm. something like that um, yeah i i believe that sargon 2 doesn't have that voiceover in fact i know for an absolute fact that it doesn't yeah. um so <laughs> what is that compartment that is opened before pouring the drink in well um as as you know all computers uh in the 1980s had a slot that you could open in the front to um inspect their innards for ghosts yeah, and uh, just pour in a drink just in case they went rogue. Yeah, yeah yes. <laughs> As we'll learn when we watch the movie Demon Seed. Mm. Um, <laughs> it's to uh, to pour a drink in to prevent the computer from trying to impregnate you. <laughs> uh, and I know I've got here is that the, uh, the chess computer is the only female influence in the entire movie. I guess that's true. There are two. What do you think about there being no women in this film whatsoever? Um, quite embarrassingly, until you just asked me that question, I had not had that any thoughts about it at all, uh, and so now I'm going to have to very quickly develop some. Um, uh, let me let me cover for you by saying that uh, John Carpenter decided to make an all male film, like it's it was an intentional decision, uh, because there hadn't been one for a while, um, and he thought it, it kind of stripped away some of the macho bullshit because you know the men are here doing their jobs and there's no one for them to impress. So um, they're just going to be as close to their true selves as possible, I guess. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, it's it's, it's certainly a choice. Um, there, um, there actually it, is one one other female influence, and I will I will bring that up when it occurs. But it's not for a while, I think. Uh, I, I suppose it would have um, possibly changed the dynamic of things somewhat if that had been included. But it's like it's just impossible to say whether that would have been a good thing or not. Really, mm, yeah. Um, we are, we are, of course, um, I've just realized we're more than an hour into this and we haven't mentioned that there was a sequel film made. There was, yes. So uh, presumably the uh, people in the helicopter are now identifiable as characters. Uh, they are, yes. Yes. Because yes. um, it's a direct prequel i guess it, it is it is i'm surprised you knew that but i knew that because you talked about it a lot and also showed it to me at some point yeah. <laughs> um yeah the reason i bring it up is of course the main character in that is female yes I, that is true I, I hate saying female i sound like a ferengi or one of those hat wearing men from the internet <laughs> the main character in that is a female, female. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um uh, or or a woman, depending on how yeah. you, you want to address someone who's obviously like a person. Mm. Jesus. Um, the men shooting at the dog draw nearer. Mm. I was thinking while watching this part that I imagine that it is quite hard to 
aim at a running dog from a moving helicopter. Yeah, they uh, they certainly don't hit it at all. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't have much experience with this, but I have played the video game Fortnite, and in that I have had an opportunity to try and shoot at people from moving helicopters, and I don't think I have ever been successful. <laughs> As you know, it is a 100% accurate physics simulation. Um, yeah, and the people uh, playing that game are on average... 12 years old probably so the dog runs past a sign the same sign that we saw earlier presumably mm-hmm. for, yes. for station 4 slash outpost 31 maybe it's written very small and in white um, citadel um. <laughs> <laughs> the helicopter circles the camp drawing McCready out of his shack a, a thing you'll notice here is McCready comes out and um, he's wearing a massive fucking hat. Like, mm. uh, uh, like I, I, I'm not sure what sort of hat that is, um, but it's preposterous. And there's a, there's a reason for the big hat. Have I told you the reason for the big hat? Uh, potentially, but I don't remember it right now. So um, there were concerns that because whenever they're outside, obviously the cast have to be in cold weather gear so that they don't die mm. uh, that you wouldn't be able to tell them apart in long shots um that they turned out to be ill-founded but um so that you can always find mccready in the shots they gave him a gigantic hat see now that you've mentioned that i'm almost certain you have told me that before <laughs> and um kurt russell was not keen on the hat but had to learn to love it because uh things had already been filmed um which involved the hat by the time he got to wear it uh. <laughs> <laughs> so so is this the first time that we have uh seen mccready leave that shack so is this the first time yeah. that we know we we know actually that he is kind of isolated from the others yeah yeah point? yeah this is the first time we see we realize that he is even further from everybody else yeah the helicopter returns to the dog and they start tossing grenades. Uh, John Carpenter in the director's commentary uh, comments here that the um, Bush pilots, the Alaskan pilots they hired to fly them around, were uh, very wild people. And um, one of them just offered out of the blue to crash the helicopter for money, which I don't think they took him up on in the end. Wow. <laughs> Also, um, you'll notice the dog is running around, they're dropping bombs on it, um, but the bombs explode quite a few seconds after the helicopter's passed, and that's because, for safety reasons, they obviously couldn't detonate the pre-planted explosives just as the helicopter flew over them, Mm. um, because they might blow up the helicopter, which um, would have ruined everyone's day. Uh, A a fair concern, because I was going to say that that first explosion that you see seems like a pretty bad shot. (laughs) um also the um as the the helicopter passes over the dog it kind of shies and they cut away quite quickly because um uh, the dog freaked out for a little bit at having a helicopter fly over the top of it Mm. people run outside of the base to discuss why the helicopter is there and where it is from uh yes i believe um Child says something like, um, there's writing on the side and it looks like Norge. 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 Um, um, do you know that Norge is short for Norwegian or Norway, I guess? 
Yes, I, I I do know that. Um, I don't know how it's actually pronounced and whether it is in fact Norge or some other pronunciation. I, I'm going to assume that it isn't pronounced Norge, but I haven't looked that up, so let's go with it for now. Yeah, okay. The helicopter lands near the base. This was uh, quite dangerous to do, actually, because um, there's a ridge and he was just sort of flying directly at the ridge and just took the helicopter over and landed it straight down. Uh, and if he'd messed up, I guess, again, the helicopter would have crashed. But as you say, they didn't care. They didn't give a shit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying Alaskans will do anything for money, but... You want me to crash this helicopter? You want me to fly this helicopter upside down towards the base? I'll do it. <laughs> Can helicopters fly upside down? Absolutely not. <laughs> do not try this. <laughs> Why can't they fly up? So let's, let's not get into it. Um... <laughs> Everybody runs out to meet them cautiously. Sorry, I was thinking about why helicopters can't fly upside down <laughs> still. Um, even though you said, let's not get into it. I was thinking, well, wouldn't it just make them incredibly top heavy, even if they could? So that would just be impossible to control. Uh, if, you're, if you're listening at home and you know why helicopters can't fly upside down, well, aren't you fucking clever? I guess the rotors would have to be going in the opposite direction. You... Probably. Uh, sure, that's, that's why, yeah. Yeah. And yeah, just uh, very top heavy. I can't imagine being able to control that. <laughs> oh, dear. Um, Sorry, do continue. <laughs> the dog approaches the men. And, and yeah, that's it. That's it. That's where we end. We end on everybody running outside to meet the helicopter and the dog running towards them. Oh, what a, um, what a, what a first eight minutes that we've spoken about for well over half an hour. Um, <laughs> well, well, first of all, of course, what did you think of those uh, eight minutes of cinema? Well, the first thing I, I take away from it is that if I had to guess where we would be, I would thought that we'd be beyond this point at, mm. at the moment. It, that that I, I, I would have thought we'd already have the dog inside the base and that that whole situation would have been completely resolved by this point. Um, yeah, it's it's a slower burn than you'd think. Yeah, so yeah, eight minutes so, is apparently uh, not as much time as I thought. What do you think happens next? What, uh, happens, next? what yeah. happens next? All right, so um, I th yeah, I think the way that we're going to do this is, is ask me what happens next each time, and I'm not allowed to w watch the thing during the run of this podcast until we've been through the whole thing. Absolutely. Um, uh, and I have to guess either what happens next, or if we're in the middle of dialogue, how that line of dialogue ends, or if someone's just said something, what the next line of dialogue is. Yeah. Um, so in this case, it is just a, a dog doing some things. And so uh, I just have to guess what happens next. And I'm a little bit stuck already um, because I'd forgotten that the helicopter actually lands. Oh. Um, and I'm a little bit puzzled as to what happens next. And I, I think it could be – there are a couple of things I know happen. So I know that the uh, dog – gets inside the base and they decide that they're going to look after the dog but i don't remember how the helicopter people respond to that situation 
So I'm thinking either they're somehow chased back onto the helicopter and when they take off again, there's some sort of accident in the helicopter that causes it to crash or something like that. Or they, in desperation, get into some sort of scuffle with the crew at the base and they're forced to shoot the people but i don't remember anything like that happening in the in in the film so i think it's more likely to be the the first one that they so um, so i i have down here your two options as uh fly off and crash or scuffle and shoot yeah in some way those two characters are shall we say resolved well I'm obviously at this point not allowed to tell you uh, which of the two is correct. I mean, everyone listening knows, I guess, unless they haven't seen the thing, in which case, why are you listening to this podcast? Yes, if this is the way that you are experiencing the thing for the very first time, what is your deal? Perhaps consider just just watching it like a normo. Yeah. Um, <laughs> What we're doing is really weird. Mm. Well, and I guess that brings us to the end of our first episode. I would just like to say that during that whole last segment, you had a lot of bells that you could have potentially rung and missed. Oh, oh, damn. Well, fortunately, I'm editing this, so I'll just go and pop them in. And uh, that's a shame. Well, um, okay, let's wrap this up. Uh, I guess we tell people how to find us on the internet is that's the thing that people do right uh yes uh um where would they find you on the internet peter so you can find me on twitter and things like that with the handle kestrel pie that's kestrel like the bird and pie like the uh, irrational number or the uh small computer hmm uh, and uh, I can be found on Twitter at Kieran J. Walsh, because that is my name. Good. All right. Well, um, an exciting cliffhanger, and I hope you'll come back for our second episode of Here's the Thing, colon, eight-minute movies? I'm not sure which way around they should be. Um, goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>